Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, today's message. I don't like that word legend because I certainly am not a legend. I hope you paid particular attention to the words of that song you just heard. Because without a doubt, it's the most popular and best ever homecoming that's ever been written in the Bible. And I got that idea last year when I was invited to speak at a homecoming, a little old church out in the wildwood. I love those little churches in the wildwood. I love mega churches too, but it's something about those little churches in the wildwood. It's just something special about them. And I got a hold of that and knew what I wanted to do, and I decided, you know, I'm going to play that song by Mark because it's the most beautiful song I've ever heard in my life. And I realize today isn't homecoming, but you know, in a way, every Sunday is homecoming because we're back with friends and we have a good time. I went to the dictionary to look up the word homecoming, and it says a return home. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? I think anybody could figure that homecoming, a return home. And then it went on to say, and I quote, the return of a group of people, especially on a special occasion, to a place formerly frequented like the prodigal son. We just heard the song. And I added also to that with a lot of fun, with friends, with fellowship, and what's that next F? Good food. <laughs> I love those homecomings. Never turn down those homecomings because that is good, good food right there. The prodigal son, though, without a doubt, the best homecoming ever because he came back. You know the story. He realized what he used to have, and then he realized, now I've got nothing since he blew it all. And when he blew it all, he knew it was time to come back because he got tired of feeding the hogs and having to eat the food that he was feeding the hogs. And then he thought, I used to have it made. I did have it made. And then I got my inheritance and I ran away. My dad didn't have to give me that, but he did. And I ran away, and I got with people that I thought were my friends, and they were my friends until I had no more money. And when I had no more money, I had no more friends, just like today. And I try to tell so many people today that are involved in future, like professional athletes, be careful with who you run around with. Because most of them are out for one thing, and that's you and what you can give them. And be very, very careful with it. So he came back. And I went up to my concordance, and I tried to find out how many times Jesus went back. Very interesting. Many, many, many times. Many examples. But not as many as the greatest athlete who ever lived. And that's Apostle Paul. Now, some of you are thinking, now, Albert, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're going to stand here today and tell me that you think the Apostle Paul was a greatest athlete than Jesus Christ who was God in human flesh? Yes, I do. 
And the reason I say that, because during Jesus' three years, he didn't go too far from where he was. But look at Paul, shipwrecked, in prison, drugged through the streets, bitten by a viper, scourged, all he went through during those many, 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 many years. And I think he was the greatest athlete who ever lived. And then that big day on the road to Damascus. All of you know the story. Here was a man named Saul who was the greatest persecutor of Christians who ever lived. And he lived for that. That was his life, going out and persecuting Christians. I do not like these Christians, and I'm going out and get as many of them as I can. And then he had that experience on the road to Damascus. And boy, what an experience that was. But I learned something later on, folks. I learned when you want to know what changed Saul to Paul, certainly the road to Damascus had a lot to do with it. But if you go into the third chapter of Philippians and read verse 8, he says, you want, to tell, you want me to tell you what changed me? The excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what changed it. Now think of this. The greatest persecutor of Christians who ever lived all of a sudden says, I am a changed man because of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And you remember the story? God got a hold of Ananias and he says, there's a guy that I want you to go see in Damascus. And when he told Ananias who he was, Ananias says, oh, Lord, excuse me. Now I'm paraphrasing this. Lord, you got to be kidding me. I ain't going to go see that guy. I'm not, look, the greatest persecutor is what he's done. And you want me to go see this Saul guy? I ain't no way, Lord. And I said, you go and see him. And when you go and see him, you tell him that he will not realize this now, but he will be persecuted like he's never been persecuted through trials and tribulations by doing what I'm going to have him do in his lifetime. You tell him that. He won't understand it. Okay, God, if that's what you tell me to do, I trust you, and I'm going to go. And he did, and he got him. And then Barnabas took over. Good old Barnabas. I love Barnabas. He was some sort of guy. He didn't want any credit for things he did either. Just a great guy. I love old Barnabas. And he took him, got him, and could take care of him. And all of a sudden, Saul is thinking, I'm ready to go preach. He didn't even know anything about the Old Testament at that time. Well, yes, he did, too, because he studied the law. He was brilliant as a student of the law. But he didn't know everything. But now he thinks he's ready to go preach. I'm a new man. I'm a greatest persecutor of a Christian. Now, Christ has come into my life. I am a brand new person. I'm a new person in Christ. I'm ready to go preach. I'm paraphrasing. Oh, Lord. Yes, Paul. Paul, my name ain't Paul, my name's Saul. No, as of now, your name is Paul. You'll understand a little bit later on. Now, what can I do for you, Paul? Uh, I'm ready to go. Oh, you are? Yes, sir. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to lather him up. I, I'm ready to tell him about this change. Well, no, Paul, you're not quite ready yet. No? No, you're not. Oh, I, I know what you're going to do. You're going to put out billboards. I can see them now all over town. Come and see Saul, greatest persecutor of Christians, who is now, Paul, a brand-new creature who's got a story to tell. No, you're wrong, Paul. Uh-oh, we're going to go door-to-door and pass out little pamphlets? 
and announce that I'm going to be in the college. No, that's not right either, Paul. Well, Lord, when are you going to use me? In about three years, Paul. Excuse me? In about three years. And he sent him to Arabia. A guy asked me one time, David, you'll get a kick out of this. He said, Albert, how do you know that Paul went to Arabia for three years? I said, well, I'm sure you can find it in the book of Acts. He said, no, you can't. No, you can't. It's nowhere in the book of Acts where God sent Paul to Arabia. And if you want to find it, my friend, you better get into the book of Galatians. And you better go read Galatians, and you'll find out where it is. Now, I'm not going to tell you where it is. He said, you've got to find it. But I'll tell you where it is. It's in the first chapter. And you read that first chapter of Galatians, and you'll see where Paul sent him. And he kept him there for three years. And at about that time, he said to him, paraphrasing again, I love to paraphrase. Paul, yes, sir, Lord, you ready to go? Well, I think so, Lord. You know why? I sent you to grow, and now you're ready to go, and I want you to glow. Because when you start talking to people about me, you're going to glow, but watch out. Because now is when things are going to happen. So he brought him back, and you remember the story? I love that story in Acts, 19th chapter. First time he'd ever preached, I guess. Might have been a couple of places here and there. And I'm sure over in Arabia, he was lathering them up every time people come in, see him making tents. And he's talking to them a mile a minute, I'm sure. But here he is, first time he's preaching. Remember the story? Read it. Read it. Get in your Bible and study your Bible. Read your Bible. If that changed Saul to Paul, don't you think he can do something with you? Do your best to present yourself to God as a workman who's not ashamed to be afraid, not afraid to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. The first time I read that scripture, I didn't even know what it meant. And then I studied it. You know what it means? Study God's word. And I bet he picked that up in Arabia. I bet that came to him in Arabia. And I bet he said, you know, I'm going to use that someday. So here he is. He's coming back and he's ladding them up and he's preaching. You know the story? They started throwing stones at him. And he's ducking and preaching, ducking and preaching. Throw those stones all you want, but I'm going to tell you about who changed my life. Woo, that one was close, but throw them stones. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And you remember the story? He knocked him down. And his little band of men came and got him and drug him through the streets. Read it in your Bible. They drug him through the streets. Now, they're dragging him through the streets, and here comes Long's arrangement again, so you won't find this part in the Bible. But Paul woke up and he says, what, 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 what's going on, guys? Paul, Paul, we thought you were dead. Guys, the stones didn't hurt me, but dragging me through the streets, guys, you about kill me. <laughs> what was I doing? And they told him, you remember what happens next? He went back. Excuse me? He went back. He knew they were going to stone him again, but he went back. And I think there's a lesson there. How many times have you folks, or how few times, when David has encouraged you to go out and talk to some people that are in assistant living, or maybe some people that you never have a chance to talk to before and you know you should have, and you go and you do talk with them, 
And they're so happy and excited. Thank you so much. That meant so much to me. Please come back again. And you never went back. Well, he asked me to go, and I went, and I did my job, and that's it, and I ain't going back again. How many times are things we know we should go back to and we never did go back to? So you know what? He went back, but uh, he didn't go back for any homecoming. I'll tell you what, it wasn't any fun, and it wasn't any friends, and it wasn't any fellowship, and I guarantee it wasn't any food. But he went back. Many other instances where Paul returned. For instance, I learned just last week when I wanted to add something to this right here, that on his second and third missionary journeys, it took approximately four years on each one of those journeys. His first journey and his second journey took approximately four years. And I wondered how many homecomings there were. I bet there weren't many. I bet there weren't many during those eight years. Was there fun with friends, fellowshipping with good food, and like we're going to have when you leave here today, whether you go home and eat or go to a restaurant or go to grandma or grandpa's or wherever you go? No, it wasn't any good food at all. And during his third missionary journey in Acts 15, a great problem took place that benefited tremendously. And I want you to read when you get home, Acts 15, and stress verse 36. Guess what's happening? There are two Christians. Now, Albert, before you even finish, what are you going to say? Arguing. Excuse me? Two Christians arguing. No, Christians don't argue. Are you kidding me? Come on. But there are two Christians arguing. And Paul's there with Barnabas. And they decide they got to expand. We can't do all this ourselves. You're exactly right, Barnabas says. said, I'll tell you what. Let's take John Mark. Well, I ain't taking John Mark. John Mark had his time with us, and he turned us down, and I'm not taking. But Paul, come on. He's a changed person. You talk about being changed. I'm not taking him. Now, if you want him, you can have him. And he said, okay, I'll take him. He said, then I'll take Silas. The first two-for-one deal, ladies, that there's ever been was in the Bible. <laughs> first two-for-one. You know how you look for them? Look what happened. Because two Christians are arguing, they straighten it out, and now they go double duty. Instead of one going here and going here and going, one's going here, one's going there in pairs. And I thought to myself, how wonderful that is. How wonderful it is. And that played right into the Lord's hands. In Acts 19, 21, they did not return to Jerusalem like he said he, and Barnabas took John Mark. And that was so important to me. Now, Acts 19, 21, uh, they made the comment, Paul did, I got to go back to Jerusalem someday. And, and, he, and, he, and he did. Paul's ultimate plan for his future ministry is revealed right here in his statement that he would go back to Jerusalem and afterwards he must also see Rome before he died, and he did. And he went back again. It was Paul's normal policy to preach the gospel where it had never been preached before and to avoid going into another man's territory. We were talking yesterday, 
And I love the theme for the weekend, finding the light in the darkness. Isn't that beautiful? That was the theme for the weekend, finding the light in the darkness. Boy, Paul did, didn't he? Paul did. He sure did. But it was such a neat thing, and we were talking about why don't churches work together anymore? And it's a tragedy. That's the reason the evangelistic team that I had for 25 years, the greatest years of my life, sort of dwindled at the end because, number one, way back 15 years ago or so, all of a sudden four-night happenings or four-night revivals were fading out fast. Or churches didn't want you to go to something else that wasn't sponsored by their church because they were afraid if you went to that function, you might get attached to that church and we don't want to lose people. Oh, my goodness gracious, alive. And I was thinking way back then, much less today, Lord, why are you tolerating us? <laughs> to look at all this nitpicking like I've never seen before. But the personal motivational drive of this dynamic man is almost incomprehensible to the modern-day reader. Having already extended himself throughout Asia Minor and the peninsula of Greece, he now reveals his plan to move westward into Italy and ultimately, and then into Spain. The extensive nature of Paul's travels has rarely been repeated by missionaries even in the modern era. Did you hear that? Think about that, people. The extensive nature of Paul's travels, all that he did has rarely been repeated by missionaries even in today's modern era. Now, do you understand now why I said at the beginning that I thought he was the greatest athlete who ever lived? That's the reason for it right there. And I'm not all here all day to argue about who was the greatest athlete. My goodness gracious, that's absolutely ridiculous. Now, let me conclude this morning with a long arrangement. <laughs> you, you'll find the story in the Bible, but you ain't going to find Long's arrangement like I'm about ready to conclude with you today with a couple of little stories. Uh, the older he got, the more realistic he dealt with it. He just realized that uh, i got to keep plugging along. And, and I think that he was coming home from one of his trips missionary journeys or, or whatever, and he was fit to be tied. You talking about somebody upset, he was. You talking about somebody having a pity party, he did. And I think he was beat physically and mentally, and I think he came back and he sat under a big old tree early in the morning, probably kicked it. And I bet he looked up and said, why, God, why? What in the world are you doing to me? Remember when I was totally self-sufficient, when I was Saul and I had the world by the tail? And all of a sudden you send that Ananias or whatever his name is. By the way, what did he say to me when he first got me? That you told him to tell me that I wouldn't understand at that time, but I would later, later that I was going to be persecuted for you? Lord, I've persecuted now. I've had it, and I'm fed up. Have you ever had one of those days? If you say you hadn't, you're telling a story right here in this church. And I think the pity party was there. And it lasted about a minute and a half. And then he got up, and I think he said, Lord, I'm sorry, but I'm 
I'm just down now. I'm physically and mentally beat. I'm sorry for that pity party. But you know what I learned, Lord, sitting there under that tree? I learned in whatever state I'm in, therewith to be content. And I think he said, wow, a golden nugget. Let me write that down quickly before I forget it. I'll use that someday. And then he wrote it down. And then I think he walked on down the trail a little further, and he said, Lord, you know what else I learned under that tree just now when I was having my pity party? And thank you for it, Lord. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Woo-wee. Two golden nuggets in one minute. Let me write that one down, too, so I don't forget it. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And then he went walking on down the trail. You know what he did? He wrote a song. Now, Disney got credit for it. <laughs> Disney got credit for it. Johnny Mercer did. He sang it. But Paul wrote it. And he wrote it right after that pity party, right after he thought about those two golden nuggets. He goes on down the trail. Zippity-doo-dah, my, oh, my, what a wonderful day. A plenty of sunshine ahead in my way. A zippity-doo-dah, zippity-ay. And that's what made him tick, people. Yes, he had his pity parties, but that's what made him tick. But you know something? Here's something that blew my mind. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he called himself the least of the apostles. Now, this is Paul. In Ephesians 3.8, he said he was less than the least of the saints. Now, this is Paul. And in 1 Timothy 1.15, he said he was the chief of all sinners. Are you kidding me? Paul is saying this? Yes, Paul is saying that. And the longer Paul lived, the more his eyes were open to his need for the grace of God. It is not that he sinned more. I'm sure he sinned less. But he realized he was a chief sinner. He just became more and more aware of his own sinful nature and how much he needed God's grace. God's grace. What is grace? Sure, undeserved generosity. God's grace. Getting what I don't deserve. Mercy is is not getting what I do deserve. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what I do deserve. And nobody preached, Paul, preached saving grace more than Paul did. Incredible individual. So what lies ahead for us now is not what Paul received too often. We're about to be dismissed today. Ted on, add on home. Get ready it's a little early now because we are an hour ahead. And we're going to have some good food and we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to have friends and, and we're going to have more or less a homecoming wherever we go because it's going to be time with fun, friends, fellowship, and food. But let me tell you something, people. If you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, he will run to you. As Mark sang so beautifully. And he ran to me, took me in his arms. Gosh, I love that song. And you will be welcome to the greatest homecoming 
that you could ever have in your life.